What's up, Bandive crew? James here. And before we jump into this episode, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever wished there was a way to connect with me as well as other listeners in real time? I have the solution. I finally got around to making a Bandive Discord server, which is people have been asking me for years and I just wasn't listening. I wish I had done this sooner because I couldn't be happier with the results. It's been fantastic. And we would love to see you join us. We have discussions about the music business, gear, the podcast, and a general channel as well. You can join the discussion now by visiting bandhive.rocks slash discord. Again, that is bandhive.rocks slash discord. Welcome to episode 45 of the Bandhive podcast. You're listening to the Bandhive podcast, the number one online resource for DIY bands to learn about the music business and touring. If you want to turn your band into a lean, mean touring machine, you're in the right place. Now, let's get this show on the road. It is time for another episode of the Band Hive Podcast. My name is James Cross, and I'm here with the drummer of Suburban Samurai, Aaron Jingras. How's it going today, Aaron? Uh-oh. Uh, it's going quite well. Uh, I can't believe this is episode 45. I cannot believe that. Yeah. Time flies. We are seven episodes out from an even 52, which will be almost a year for the Bandhive podcast because we did drop three at once. So technically it'll be week 50 for us. But episode 52, we will officially have made an episode for enough weeks in the year, even if we're not quite at the one year anniversary yet. I feel like 45 is a big number. 50 will be a big number. 52 and then what is that, 54, if we did uh, two extra for the first release? Yeah, so episode 54 will be our uh, actual one-year anniversary. Time flies. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Especially during a pandemic when you can't do anything or go to shows or anything like that. It seems like it's been 10 years and it's only been six months. Yeah, I was thinking about like a, a tour I was on in 2015 earlier this week. Just I was talking with somebody from that run and... It's like, oh my gosh, that is 2015. Just like how many decades ago does that feel like it was? It's mind blown. I think we're also like dating ourselves right now because <laughs> when I think back, the first time I did Warp Tour was 2014. That was six years ago. And now it's like, oh, that was six years ago? Like, no, that was like two years ago. That, that was like, no, that, that wasn't six years ago. And then I look at the calendar, I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was six years ago. <laughs> or it's, you know, when you start thinking about how many years ago you graduated, like. Well, to put it another way, I, uh, you know, I've said it on the podcast before, I am a big plane nerd, aviation nerd. And some of the pilots I follow are about my age or even younger, like 25 to 30. I think there's one who's like 22 even. He's super young. And he's a first officer, probably furloughed right now, I couldn't tell you for sure, with um, basically American Airlines. It's amazing to me how there are pilots my age. I used to be a little kid and be like, oh, only old people are pilots. And now I'm like, oh, this means I'm an old person now. <laughs> <laughs> I like ran into that a few years ago where, um, yeah, yeah, I remember planes, um, <laughs> that like passenger commercial planes. I've had a few of those where it was like I got in a plane and like very, very clearly the, you know, the pilot or, or co-pilot, it was somebody in, in the front cabin, like it's very, very in my face, like that person's younger than me, that person, that person's younger than me. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've like seen like cops or, you know, like 
law professionals or, or something like dentists maybe but like for some reason yeah like the pilot thing was like oh my wow this person can fly this big thing yeah it's crazy but anyway all that aside we have an episode to bring to the people <laughs> if we haven't already just bored them out of their minds because we're talking about getting old granted i would say at least half of our audience probably has felt the same way and the other half you'll understand it in five to ten years. Join us. (laughs) (laughs) So while we've just been rambling on and doing a terrible job of introing this podcast, we're just chatting as if we're friends. Because, we I mean, we are friends, but (laughs) that ties into something that we'll be talking about later. Because today we're going to be talking about musical performance anxiety. You're probably thinking, what is that? And you'd be right, because no one calls it that. Everyone just calls it stage fright. And so most people have performance anxiety to some certain extent, but it can be much more severe for some people. And before I hand it over to you, Aaron, I'm just going to toss in a personal experience story there. I've been an introvert as long as I can remember, and I used to be terrified of talking to people I didn't know. And I still have that issue to an extent at certain times. But going back to what I was saying about doing Warp Tour six years ago, well, guess what? When you're doing Warp Tour, you have to talk to a lot of people who you've never met before and you will never meet ever again. So first year on Warp Tour, I was out there with a sponsor and I would be talking to hundreds of people a day. I think my personal record was like 837 people in a single day that I talked to. I approached them. They did not approach me. I talked to them briefly, but I talked to them. Now, I have no problem talking to people in a professional setting. If it's like a a personal setting, it's still a little awkward for me, but if I'm working somewhere or if I have a business need to talk to someone, there is no awkwardness. It's just like, hey, how's it going? Like, Let me talk to you about XYZ and I don't care if you think it's boring, I'm going to talk to you. And it's relieving to have that just because I, you know, jumped into the deep end pretty much and it feels good. So that's my personal story. And uh, we're going to be talking about getting over musical performance anxiety today. But Aaron, I think you had a couple of things you wanted to toss in here as well before we get into the tips and tricks. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a lot of this, is, to be honest, is kind of fresh in my mind. Future listeners, I promise I haven't been, but not not because, you know, I'm uh, like nervous or or have anxiety about this. But um, the day that we're taping this episode tomorrow, I'm going to do a little studio work, which is on top of everything else going on. It, it's a little mind blowing that I have the ability to, to do that, you know, with it's going to be a little nice piece of like normal for a few hours. So yeah, it was like fresh on my mind. And you know, when we talked, I think it kind of seemed like something that everybody experiences at some point in their career in some way, whether you're like, you know, you've never made it out of your garage or whether you're like a local or a regional act or like a studio musician or, you know, a national or an international somebody, you know, who's become very successful and and well-known. Here we are just talking about musicians, but, um, you know, this kind of thing, you find that in any art that you look in, like pottery making, for God's sakes, or like competitive pottery making or like, you know, cubing. I think that's the thing where, 
you know, people like are really competitive with like Rubik's cubes and then obviously like acting or I don't know, competitive, like figure skating or something. It's, it's everywhere. So I don't know. It was something that we thought was kind of cool because it's not cool, but it is so common and it's something that everybody will understand. Yeah. Go figure that you would pull the most uncommonly niche <laughs> competitive sport out of nowhere. <laughs> what was it? Pottery or Rubik's cubing? <laughs> figure skating, the sport. Oh, figure skating. Yeah. <laughs> Just like of all sports, figure skating. <laughs> oh, man. I remember when I was a kid watching the Olympics, they had speed skating. Oh, yeah. Ono was the guy. So I was always rooting for Ono. I can't remember if he won or not. But anyway, sidetracking. And I want to say I'm sidetracking intentionally to illustrate a point that we'll get to later, which is just be comfortable. Sidetracking like that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it shows that we're human and it shows that like, hey, yes, we're recording a podcast, but we're also having a casual conversation. It's not going to be perfect. We're not producing an NPR radio show or anything like that. You know, it's not going to be the tightest sounding recording and editing and all that. Because when it comes down to it, we're having a conversation. That's what a podcast is. Anyway, going deeper into it, stage fright is something that even professional musicians who've been touring for years, they get that. They get nervous before a show and it's perfectly normal. Um, Same thing like you mentioned, Aaron, before you're going into the studio, some people could get really anxious just because you know that the tracks you're about to put down are going to be out there forever. And like we said before, we're putting together a list of tips and tricks that can help you cope with stage fright. And this will be both for studio work or for live shows or right now, considering the pandemic, live streams, because that's kind of the same thing. The one nice thing about live streams is you don't see people's faces staring back at you. (laughs) I remember... Well, when I was performing for a friend's band, that was always weird just to like have everyone's attention on you or at least, you know, in your general direction. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. And that's why I'm still a behind the scenes kind of guy. <laughs> so, Aaron, do you want to uh, go ahead and talk through this first part of the list? Yeah. So we've split today's topic into two parts, theoretical and practical. Really, the takeaway from this should be just focus on what works best for you maybe you take a little bit from both sides and you know something along those lines is probably going to yield the best result so diving right into it theoretical tips to reduce you know stage fright performance anxiety the first one the biggie pma positive mental attitude think of the good rather than the bad one good example we have here is you know if you're headlining a sold out gig that's awesome you know don't think about messing up your solo or your performance, but instead remember that all of those people, you know, gave enough of a damn about you and your band to like buy a ticket to your show. You know, if you mess up, it happens. No big deal. Chances are they're not going to hate you because they're not going to criticize you as strongly as you criticize yourself. The same goes for recording in the studio. If you mess something up, who cares? That happens. That's literally, that's why you're there to hash out the same thing a bunch and, uh, you know, get the best take. Hard drive space is dirt cheap, so just do it again. Major acts literally, you know, they do it dozens if not hundreds of times, depending on what they're trying to put down, just to get the right one. 
that's going overboard. Don't do that just because somebody else might do that. But the point being, don't be afraid to mess up. You can always do it again in the studio. Yeah. And on that note, you know, it's the major acts do it because the producers are looking for something specific. I don't think they would want to be there doing it that many times. And that's very different from seeing a local musician. I know somebody who literally did, I think he said 800 takes of one part because he wasn't happy with any of them. And so I asked him, hey, why don't you just comp this? Like, that's what any engineer would do. Just stitch it together. You know, if you're happy with the first 10 seconds of this one and the next 15 of that one, and then you go back to the second take and that's totally okay. And he said, no, well, I don't roll that way. I want it to be live. And while I can understand that, if you're doing 800 takes of something, that's not going to benefit you in any way. And I think part of that was performance anxiety. He wanted to get it out there and he wanted it to be perfect. Even though no one listening would ever know that that part was stitched together from multiple takes, which again, is perfectly normal. That happens on every single record out there, bar a few, like Bruce Springsteen's new record is all live, no overdubs, which is incredible. But the average artist can't do that. But that was his fear of putting out that song, knowing that it wasn't truly one performance that he had put out there. It was stitched together. I think that is deep down what was stopping that artist from just doing three takes and finding the best parts of each single one. Yeah, so keeping on going with sort of the, you know, the theoretical kind of like in your mind's intangible stuff, say you're in a live performance setting, a good thing to do is to try to think of the audience as a big group of friends try to form a connection with them by interacting with them, making eye contact. Of course, that has, you know, there's an added bonus of if you're making eye contact with somebody, you know, you're connecting, you're nurturing a relationship with them. That's a great way to like drag them even deeper into their fandom. And then kind of off of that, just sort of be yourself. I like the point that you made in here, James, because I identify with it hard. If you're a nerd, whatever that might mean to you, lean into it and be nerdy. You know, don't be afraid to show who you really are. Again, that's going to allow people to connect with you on a deeper level. And in the end, you're going to have a stronger and deeper connection for it. I had not planned this at all, but just earlier I was talking about being an aviation nerd. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I did not plan that. I had put that in the outline, but that was not intentional. I just brought that up because I felt old. (laughs) So, (laughs) but that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, embrace who you are. I don't feel like anyone's going to judge me for being an av geek. And if they do, who cares? Like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I enjoy doing. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, why should anyone else judge me for that? Yeah. And like the total like after school special version of that, which is like totally also true, is if you're yourself and, you know, whether it's aviation or whether it's like comic books or like anything else in the world, the people who you connect with because you're being authentic, think about it for a sec. They're connecting with you and your authentic self. So if I were you, I'd value that relationship, you know, even more. And and it's, for me, it would kind of offer peace of mind, like that, you know, you know that they're there because they know what they're buying into with like the relationship, whether it's like a personal one or a professional one, or like, I'm a fan and I just see you on stage relationship, like whatever it is, like, you know, it's genuine, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, I agree. And I love that you brought up comic books 
because that made me think of a very specific artist. You're probably going to guess who it is. It's not Gerard Way, but Claudio Sanchez, Coheed and Cambria. Yes. And I say it's not Gerard Way because he started the comic book thing after MCR, or at least as MCR was kind of falling apart. Claudio Sanchez and Coheed have actually like tied the music into the comic books that Claudio does, which I think is amazing. It's going to say it's like concept, right? Yeah, exactly. And I have to say, I'm not a massive Coheed fan, so I don't understand the connection fully. I just know that Claudio does comic books and the music ties into them in some way, shape, or form. So somebody who is like a diehard Coheed fan could explain this much better than I. My point being, they have a very specific type of fan in general. And that fits in perfectly because it's on brand for them. I love it. They take advantage of that, not in a bad way. It's They're doing something really great and they're adding value because, hey, you like comic books? Okay, there's a soundtrack for this series. Oh, hey, you like our music? Cool. Well, you know, check out the graphic novel that goes with it. That's awesome. I don't know of any other artist who can say that. Like Gerard Way, sure, Umbrella Academy. That doesn't go with MCR's music. That is its own standalone project. I'm sure there are other artists who have done something similar. I just, I don't know of them or I can't think of them off the top of my head. Moving on from another little nerd out about comic books and Coheed and Cambria and planes and all that, we are going to get into the practical tips to help you combat stage fright, which again can also be studio fright. And the first main thing is just be comfortable with what you're doing. So for the studio, for example, that would mean make sure you have good demos and pre-production so you have the arrangements for the songs ready, you can listen back to what you know you want to play in the studio, and then record yourself playing your part over your demo until you can nail that part. Because then when you can nail that part, you have it in your head that, hey, you know what, I played this yesterday, I listened to the recording, and I played exactly how I wanted it to be, all I have to do is do that again in the studio and we'll be golden. And obviously there's still that element of pressure, but like we said earlier, you can do it again. No one's gonna hate you if you have to go through one or two more times. And like I said too, three to five takes is the ideal. So if you have to stitch some stuff together, that's okay. That's perfectly normal. It happens all the time. I can understand wanting to play live, but it's really, it's not cheating to just edit here and there because you still played it and it's going to make your album sound better. So from that standpoint, wouldn't you want it to be the best it can absolutely be? Of course you do. That's the whole point of putting out music is you want to showcase the best art that you can make. If you want to learn more about being prepared for the studio, Go to bandhive.rocks slash 16, that's the numbers one six, and check out our episode called How You Could Save Thousands on Your Next Album, because Matt and I went really in-depth about preparing for the studio in that, and practicing your parts is just one of the many things that you can do to really get solid takes in there and get out of the studio more quickly so you don't spend as much money on recording. Now, when it comes to live shows, all we're really going to say is practice, practice, practice. And that doesn't just mean practicing your instrument. That also means practicing interacting with your fans, your stage presence, your banter, everything. Aaron, you and I did a really fun episode all about that. 
It was number 17. So these two that we're shouting out right now are back to back. You can find it at bandhive.rocks slash 17. That's the numbers one seven. And it's called Fix Your Stage Presence Now, which ironically came out 10 days after the COVID lockdowns started all over the country. (laughs) So probably the worst timing ever for that episode to come out. But I'm sure it helped people with streaming as well. At least I sincerely hope it did. And then one thing that also goes into both studio or live, but especially live, is that when you look good, you feel good. If you put effort into your appearance and take care of yourself, you're going to feel better. We're not just speaking of, you know, your physical fitness. We're also speaking of your clothing, your style, all that kind of stuff. I spent years as a dude wearing t-shirts and cargo jeans, and I still wear t-shirts. Like, I love band shirts. But the cargo pants, that's just a thing of the past. No way. Like, it took me three years of college to realize that's not my look. That's not what I'm going for. And now I wear black jeans. That's like my thing. I feel comfortable. I feel better wearing that. So take care of yourself, your body, and dress the part, especially if there's a general aesthetic for your band. You want to have everyone in the band fitting that branding, especially at live shows. Take, for example, a band like Rammstein. They basically have costumes on for their shows. Not even basically, they do have costumes on for their shows. It's a very theatrical environment. Now, obviously, they don't dress like that when they're not playing shows, but they still dress to a certain standard. So if they're seen out in public and somebody recognizes them, it's not going to be like, oh, dude, that's the singer of Rammstein. He's wearing like workout shorts and a wife beater. Like, what? Dude, what a slob. No, he's not going to look like that because they are very aware of their branding. So it should be the same thing for you. You might not be at the point where people are going to recognize you, (laughs) but you will still feel better if you look put together and have a consistent and cohesive brand with your music. So kind of using that as a jumping off point and the whole, if you look good, you feel good, careful on the caffeine and the sugar (laughs) and the other, you know, food items, uh, you know, that'll weigh you down, like the first thing that comes to my mind is that feeling of like you just gulped down two liters of water and then tried to run a mile and then it's just like sloshing around in your stomach. Like, don't do that to yourself. Hashtag warp tour. Yeah. <laughs> well, only on the days that you don't sweat it out just as quickly as you like consume the water. Yep. But exactly. Another, you know, point, which is probably going to be a no-brainer to a lot of people, I hope, would be, you know, communication. And that could be a bullet point on any one of the 45 podcast episodes we've had so far. But it's just as important here, you know, just in the same way that you'd kind of get comfy and cozy with like the music, make sure that you know who you're working with and communicate as necessary and as needed. So whether it's a, you know, a studio setting, um, you know, maybe you make sure you know what you're going to be playing if it's like not original material or definitely know what you're going to be playing If it is original material, you know, just communicate with somebody, make sure that you check off all the easy boxes, like you're on time, you know, you're bringing the right gear, you know, all those boxes are checked off. If it's a live show, you know, that's your bandmates, that's the other bands, the venue, whatever your responsibility is, just whatever the communication needs to be, just, you know, make sure that you're where you need to be within that process. So you sort of minimize the number of surprises that there end up being. So speaking of surprises, you know, make sure that all your tools are up to snuff. And if you're a musician, 
tool means instrument. Or if you're a singer or a vocalist, that means your you know general health and well-being and your voice. You know, if you're an audio engineer, all the tools that you use, it's whatever you use to get your job done. So again, just kind of coming from like a musician perspective, a drummer, make sure your gear is in good shape. If you can, make sure it looks good, especially if you're going to be involved with some sort of video or photo content, which pretty much every studio session ever, somebody is at least going to be snapping one photograph. Make sure that you're prepared, just, you know, all the easy low-hanging fruit. Make sure that you're prepared with the extra strings and the heads and whatever it is. Really just set yourself up for a smooth time. That's just the best way you can go about avoiding any unnecessary anxiety. The idea is if you know you have a plan B or if you're like James or myself, maybe a plan C or C and a half, it's not going to feel as disastrous and you're going to be able to remain composed and calm when plan A totally goes off the rail and fails. Another point, which is super simple, but a lot of people overlook and then a lot of people don't overlook it, but it's just, it is not possible if they're doing their job properly, is get enough sleep wherever and however you can. That's so valuable. The better that you're rested, the more likely you are to perform well, the more able you will be to perform well. You know, it can be tough to do, especially on the road, but knowing when to stop partying or, you know, honestly, when to stop working if you're one of those people and get some rest. That's just so vital to the longevity you're trying to hold on to as an artist. My sincerest sympathies to all the tour managers of the world. <laughs> yeah, 90-hour weeks, and that's not the whole, oh, I'm on 24 hours a day. That's, no, 90, 95 hours of waking, you have a job to do hours, It's or more. Yeah, it's intense. So at the end of the day, it comes down to two things. One, being prepared, and two, taking care of yourself both mentally and physically. And when it really comes down to it, I think being prepared is part of taking care of yourself. Because when you have all your ducks in a row and you know what is going to be happening that day and that you have backup plans for everything, you're just going to be so much more relaxed that you are going to put on a much better performance. And knowing that you're going to put on a good performance, you're not going to have as severe performance anxiety. That does it for this episode of the Band Hive Podcast. Thank you so much for listening again and again and again. We really appreciate it, and we also hope that you will be able to get over or at least limit your performance anxiety and stage fright by practicing what we have taught in this episode. If you have any questions, please feel free to head on over to our Facebook community. You can find it at better.band group. We'll be back with another episode next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Until then, we hope you have an awesome week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and of course, as always, keep rocking. Hey, you. Yeah, you, with the headphones or the speakers. You've made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. While I still have you here, if you're not already in the Bandhive Facebook community, it would be great to see you there. We have over 600 like-minded musicians who are asking questions, sharing their experiences and advice, and much more. So if you want to improve your band's business, look no further than the Bandhive Facebook community. 
You can find it by searching for Bandhive on Facebook, that's B-A-N-D-H-I-V-E, or going to bandhive.rocks slash group. Again, that's bandhive.rocks slash group, and that will automatically redirect you to our Facebook community. I look forward to seeing you there soon.